You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Shakespeare to Schwartz. From Fosse to Alvin Ailey. From Sondheim to Borellis. From McNally to Faye. It happened to the greats. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes. It's the moment you know. When lightning strikes. Where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout your Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the heart-thumping, tingly mic drop moment that led you to becoming an artist. By the time she was a student at Bennington College, Elizabeth Suedos was already a force, considered an exceptional talent as a writer, composer, and director. In 1978, when she was in her 20s, Elizabeth Suedo's musical Runaways, about teenage runaways, began at the public theater, moved to Broadway, and earned her four Tony nominations. Elizabeth Suedo's had a gift for introducing new forms into the mainstream. She wrote in a variety of musical genres, including world, folk, rap, and experimental music. She delved into topics not usually seen in musical theater, like racism, murder, and mental illness. She used Greek, Latin, and Navajo to spotlight ancient Trojan women. She wrote about genocide in the midst of the Salvadorian Civil War. In 2016, Elizabeth Suedos passed away after battling esophageal cancer. This past May, the Liz Suedos Project, a tribute album devoted to Suedos and her legacy, debuted on Ghostlight Records. The album includes 20 songs from her work and is performed by some of the theater's most inspiring voices working today. This Tuesday, November 24th at 8 p.m., Ghostlight Records and Joe's Pub will present a free virtual celebration of the Liz Suedos Project. The event will feature several artists who appear on the album who will perform and offer personal insights into Liz's work. My guests today are two visionaries behind the Liz Suedos Project. Roz Lichter is one of the executive producers on the album and was also Liz's longtime partner. Also with us is singer, composer, and musician Shayla Taub, who was a student of Liz at New York University and then a collaborator 
and also performs on the album. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have you uh, both here today, also to talk about Liz and her legacy and the Liz Suedo's project. Let's delve into what what inspired the Liz Suedo the Liz Suedo's project. What inspired you? How did it come together? Well, I think Liz inspired us post uh, post mortem. Yeah. Um, Liz has always inspired many people, and I think the fact that there wasn't an album of many of her songs that people had not heard uh, inspired her, the performers and her, the Liz kids, of which Shana is one, to actually get together uh, with Ghostlight Records to uh, assemble a, an amazing group of performers who are either Liz kids or influenced by Liz's work to do this album. And uh, that was that was the main inspiration. For it. So many of her songs had been unknown, and yet her influence was uh, widespread. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yes, yes. And how, but how did it all come about? You know, what, what, was it right after, was it in 2016 or more recently? And how did you choose the material? Because when I think about her canon of work, you know, you had a plethora to whittle it down to 20 songs. Uh, well, Chris Kugel, our, our music director and Liz's music director for 20 years, and Lauren Fitzgerald, with the help of, you know, others like Shana, uh, chose the songs. And we started uh, thinking about it about a year and a half ago, uh, a couple of years after Liz passed away. And it was noticeable from the hundreds of letters that I received after Liz died as to how many people far away and down the block were influenced by her music and her way of teaching. Do you, do you want to talk about, um, Shana, your, your involvement, how you got involved? Sure. In, I mean, in 2017, uh, the year after Liz passed, there was a incredible Lincoln Center American Songbook concert is that right, Roz? Was it 2017 that yes, that happened? Yes, and they had always wanted to do something, uh, right. even while Liz was alive, 
Right. Right. Yes. And there were so, and, and the previous summer, I think, and correct me, always correct me if I'm getting this wrong, Ross, but the previous summer in 2016, they did a encore, uh, on off center at city center, did a, pr- a amazing production of her show runaways. Right. Um, and so there was this, this sort of, again, that it had also, I believe been in the works for a long time. So that was this huge exhilarating event in New York of runaways. And then the following spring of this Lincoln center, American songbook show that like the album had many of Liz, Liz kids and disciples and singing selections from her prolific songbook. And it was such a special night and the live recording of Michael Friedman singing one of her songs is from that evening. And I remember I, you know, I wasn't directly as centrally involved in the execution and producing of the album, like Chris and Lauren and Roz. But I remember that night, sort of this feeling of, Oh my gosh, we have to record this. This can't just be an ephemeral evening. Um, We've got to, you know, these songs have got to be recorded for posterity. Uh, So, so it sort of felt like a, a mandate is that this work had to be preserved. And I love that you're, yeah, yeah. And I love that you're taking the songs and having a free concert at Joe's pub. Can you talk about that? A virtual concert, um, your, your collaboration with Joe's pub. Well, Shane has a long collaboration with Joe's pub and uh, the pandemic, unfortunately, you know, impact the show that, was going to premiere at, at Joe's Pub. Uh, why we're doing it is, again, to widen the audience for the album and also to re- reintroduce some of the singers on the album, the performance artists, and to uh, the public theater generally was a special home for Liz. She probably did about 10 shows there when Joe Papp was alive. And uh, in fact, Liz is buried near Joe Papp's grave in uh, Staten Island, where my family mm. is also buried. And and uh, I think the combination is that it's totally appropriate for Joe's Pub to honor Liz and to honor the album. So we're very excited about that. Yeah, I... I want to talk to you also, both also about when you first connected, when you each first connected with Liz at her extraordinary memorial at La Mama. Gary Trudeau talked about uh, this. This He talked about his connection with Liz. And uh, he said, after a lifetime of coloring outside the lines, if any child of God should be allowed to break the rules and attend her own memorial, it should be Liz. She would certainly make the most of it, darting about in red sneakers, reblocking everything, exhorting, cajoling, inspiring, annoying, adding bird crawls, knocking each of us out of our comfort zones into versions of ourselves we didn't know existed, and we'd all be amazed. I feel it embodies so much of who Liz was. So I want to talk, can you talk about when you first connected with her, each of you and what your impression, what, what you first, your first impressions of her were, were. I'll let Shanna take that one first. Okay. <laughs> I just always defer to you, Roz. Yeah. I mean, 
I came, <clears throat> I came to New York for school when I was 16 for college. And it was the first year that Liz directed and created with a group of NYU students, her reality show, which is a uh, now 15 years on project that she was her brainchild of, uh, this orientation show that is performed every fall for the incoming class at New York university that was, that sort of uh, promotes this wellness exchange hotline that, that is offered to NYU students, you know, who are dealing with mental health issues and all other kinds of problems. And so this show is designed to welcome the students to New York and also touches on, I mean, everything from STDs to drugs, to dangers of the city, but of the things, mental health, physical health. I mean, anything you can imagine all wrapped up into this hour long musical sketch comedy review written and created by Liz and the NYU kids. And this was, and this was the first fall that it was happening. And so literally I moved here from Vermont and within a few hours of unpacking my bags in my dorm room, I went to see the reality show, which was Liz's show. And it just, my life changed in that moment. I, I didn't understand that you could create your own work where I came from, it was like, oh, you know, we did The Music Man, we did Fiddler on the Roof, we did shows, you know, plays were something you did, the musicals that were fully formed and came down from the North Pole and then you did them. Um, and to see this thing, and when it was explained to me that the students had written this and made this, I wasn't writing yet. I was just a performer. And I I remember Preston Martin being in that, Chad Kristarfin, Jordan was Robinson, Emma Tambam Fine, and I was just so blown away. Justin Levine was in that show. And then I, I was like, who's responsible for this? And I heard, started hearing this name, Liz Suedos. And I was like, I just have to find her. And then later that year, I saw her incredible production done with students at NYU as well of the Dybbuk. And my mind was similarly blown. I never heard music like that. I'd never heard sounds like that. That's her adaptation of the musical adaptation of the Dybbuk. And so I, she was sort of this mythic offstage character to me of, of just these, these mind-blowing theater experiences I was having of something I'd never seen and kept hearing the person responsible was this woman, Liz Suedos. And I was like, I've got to find her. But I didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't know where to find her or what to do. And then my sophomore year, I kind of thought maybe I want to write. I'm only performing. Maybe I should try and take some class. And I signed up for a playwriting class and I went to it for one day and I was like, I hate this. I don't want to write a play. I, I don't think that's for me. What do I do? And I was talking late at night in my dorm room with my friend who lived a few floors below me, Sam Pinkleton. Oh, um, no, I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, and, kismet. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, just you wait. I have more surprises. Okay. So, and Sam was like, you should come take, the, quit playwriting practicum and come take this elective called performance composition adaptation with Liz Suedos. And I was like, oh, she wait, she teaches a class? And he, he was like, yes. And I was like, what's performance composition adaptation? He was like, it doesn't matter. It's just come to the class. And I was like, okay. And so then the next day I walked into the class and I was nervous and we were all sitting in a circle and Liz was sitting there with like her harem pants and her wild red hair and her creases. <laughs> And I was like, this is her. I just felt like I had like seen the Buddha. I was just kind of like, oh my God. <laughs> and we sat in a circle and we were going around saying something we wanted to adapt. And I realized that, and she was like, it could be a way someone walks. It could be something you heard yesterday. Like adaptation could mean anything. And that was my first day in the class. And also sitting in that circle 
was Matt Gehring, who is now my husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> then the uh. next week in the class, I wrote my, I shared my first original song. It just like that class kind of began my life in every single way. Um, so I just think of my life sort of like before and after Liz, because now my entire life is writing music, my whole identity as an artist. I never thought that being a writer, songwriter was like just something I could be until I really saw it modeled for me and Liz. And I was like, oh, wow, you can you can make your own work. That's so extraordinary. And I love how then it evolved that you collaborated her with her, you music directed for her. So now <clears throat> at the end of that class, like the last day of the class was in May and it was a presentation. And then I got home from class later that day. <clears throat> and in my inbox, she, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm not sick with the sickness, but I'm a little allergies today. Um, she, there was an email in my inbox from Liz it was like, I'd love for you to music direct the world premiere of my new oratorio atonement at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in October. And I was, oh like, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never music directed anything. I've never conducted anything. I've never had a professional job as a anything like this. And I but right. And so I was like, but immediately I responded and just said yes. And I was 18 years old and just like. Now I'm 32 and looking back and the fact that she was willing to trust a young person with her mm. masterpiece, a, a young person who was not ready yet, mm. like the quote you were saying from her memorial of pushing out of the mm. comfort zone. Like I wasn't ready for that job, but Liz pushed me off the cliff before I was ready and in falling, it made me ready. And that job sort of empowered me to think, oh, I can do this. No, I can do this. But it takes that kind of radical faith and belief in young artists and young people in general that Liz had that is so rare. And I, I now, yeah, just look back and wonder that she gave me that opportunity at age 18. And I'm not unique. She gave that kind of opportunity right. to many, many young people, the Liz kids that that's right. Yes. kids. And and for people who don't know Sam Pingleton, he he ended up, I'll let you tell it. You know, that's I love that part of the story too, that you were both in the same dorm, right? For people who don't know, Sam is a very successful um choreographer. Yes, and he went on, he also directed and choreographed the that revival of runaways I was talking about at Sydney Center. In yes. So that was a beautiful full circle moment. Yeah. And I remember being at the Tony Awards he, and he talked about Elizabeth Suedo as his mentor. Yeah. Uh, so, let, so Roz, can you talk about your connect, first connection with Liz? Liz is always personal to me. Uh, I, uh, I met Liz because her attorney had passed away, uh, age appropriately. And, uh, and she was looking for an, a lawyer, and our mutual colleague Ellen Novak, who was casting director at the Public, when she, when Liz was a, uh, did many of her shows, recommended me. Ellen was a client of mine, and Liz came to the office. I was had an office on Lower Fifth Avenue, and I was not familiar with her work. Uh, most of my uh, exposure to musical theater was uh, Sondheim and then the traditional pajama game and music man. And uh, basically I love musicals, but I wasn't aware of her work. And I did do a little research and 
it, it said that she was an avant-garde artist downtown. I went, oh, my God, she's going to be like Philip Glass, and I'm not going to understand a thing about her work, and it's not going to be melodic, and it's, oh, my God. So I met her, and, of course, her work is totally melodic and gorgeous and rich, and we were sitting in the office, and, uh, of course, this is personal, but uh, I might as well uh, declare it. The uh, Liz told me later that as soon as she met me, not only did she want to be a client, uh, but she wanted to be my lover. So uh, that I didn't know, and I was totally uh, unaware of, of that. And we started working together by going to California to meet with some film executives so that she could pitch some of the projects they wanted her to do and for projects that she wanted to do. And our personal relationship uh, began there a few months after I started representing her. And uh, it was uh, an amazing education for me, both on a personal level as well as a professional uh, musical theater level. I loved her music, and I couldn't believe that when I thought of a downtown artist, I only thought of somebody who didn't make melodic songs. Uh, but the way she made melodic songs and the harmonies that she did, I, I was just blown away. It took me to a new dimension in my love of musical theater, uh, a much better dimension in terms of the not only the quality, but the variation. And uh, a personal story about a bird lament. I had never heard of Bird Lament, which Liz was very famous for <laughs> yeah. in, in creating the sound of birds, either yeah. within her repertoire or as an exercise that she did at the uh, at BAM, at Brooklyn Academy of Music. But I was at her apartment at Loft, we used to call it, on Mercer Street in New York. And... Uh, she did have a bird and it was a cockatoo and it was that big white bird <laughs> who I was making a phone call and Liz was near me and the bird just bit me on my chin and then hung on my chin and I was mortified, scared. And I went, Oh my God, I didn't, I didn't expect that. I expect, I expected that the music might be an issue, but not the birds hanging from my chin. And I still, 30 years later, still have the scar oh. from the bird. <laughs> Although later on, we got we bought some birds and we had flying macaws and, and then the birds hated us. And so we put them in the sanctuary, but in Vermont. Oh. Oh. Um, but. At any rate, that's how I first met her. And uh, she then at that time was doing a, a show called Red Sneaks about drugs in the community and uh, based or inspired by the Red Shoes. And I went <laughs> to see it. I didn't realize that I went to see it. This was before we got together personally. I went to see it every night. And I guess I was falling in love as well. What was it about that piece? I met uh, 
Which the red sleeks? I love just the title. You had me at the title. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it nothing was, romantic. In fact, it was about you know drugs and the the, yeah. the lore of addiction and the lore of drugs mm. and a uh, very simple stage. And uh, actually, one of the the kids that was in it uh, is uh, a television was a television star is a television star whose name escapes me for the moment but he started out with Liz when he was very young well that's that's the thing is that her music hits you in a very visceral way um and I love that she crosses all that she's she crosses all genres. You know, when I think about how she wrote Runaways, I mean, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about how his parents on one of their, on, on, I think on their honeymoon, they went to see the Runaways and that he he credits her as a great visionary, just as a rap artist. I mean, she was writing rap before people were actually defining rap as rap. I mean, she wrote Rap Master Ronnie, right? And she, but, and I think about just the, the different kinds of songs and genres that she worked in and created. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as what? Gary Trudeau said, she wrote Outside the Lines, but she, but Gary also yeah. said at the memorial, which I advise people to, it's still up on YouTube. It's sort yeah. of the way to get to know Liz, uh, that, she would change, and Shana probably could talk to this better, speak to this better than myself. The way she changed in the middle of a show, uh, in rehearsal. Uh, uh-uh, uh, let's change the whole thing. No, no, we're we're getting rid of this, and uh, let's change uh, the whole thing. Is that true, Shana? In terms of your experience? Yeah, she wasn't precious about about keeping the same thing. Yeah, it was always what's going to be the best thing for the show. And, and she was willing, yeah, to sort of throw, to throw it out and try something new. Which some, it, some people are afraid to do. Yeah. Do you, do you know about her lightning strikes moment? What led her to becoming an artist? What was it that inspired her? Liz? I have no idea. I think it was, she was born an artist and I think that it just, as people learn to speak when they're three years old or two years old, uh, she learned uh, as her other language music. So I, I don't know if they, you know, her parents might have inspired her. That that's one analysis, but I think uh, really she was self-inspired. I think her life was a musical, a musicality to all of her work, whether it be novels or nonfiction, or children's yes. books, there is a synchronization with her kind of inner, some people might call it turmoil, I call it life-giving, uh, planting all kinds of seeds in a, in a garden that <laughs> had both, you know, roses and daffodils and lilacs and every kind of uh, flower, musical flower that you can imagine. So I just think it was inner. I think she always thought music and musical yeah. and uh, 
you know, went on to play the guitar and went on to play the piano. And she was dyslexic, so she could not read music. That's extraordinary. And yet she was able to write all this beautiful music. How did she, and I love that she gave, as you say, the Liz kids and so many people opportunities and trust, like you were saying, Shayla, that you, that she let you direct, music direct this piece of hers so early on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really showed me like going through preparing a music direct that oratorio, you know, <clears throat> she gave me the, her, the score and that idea of being outside the lines is very literal because she was outside the bar lines. Like it, it would be these scores, these pages of sheet music sort of without bar lines, without measure lines. Um, <laughs> so there would be notes on the page and the lyrics and chord markings. But as sort of a student of music theory, growing up in piano lessons, I was like, there are no bar lines. Like, how do I, like, where does, <laughs> what there aren't this doesn't divide nicely into four four or even six like I just like couldn't find and it kind of made me realize that she district like uh radically purposefully joyfully disregarded that in a way of this this measure has seven beats and that one has four and this one has five and that that is adventurous and original and unique and it sort of helped me realize as a budding songwriter at the time, like, yeah, you don't have to stay inside those formulas and those lines. And if a song goes in a completely different direction or changes feels twice through or has an odd bar here and there or everywhere, that's a feature, not a bug, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. What, what do you miss most about her? What do I miss? I miss the music every day. I miss uh, I miss snuggling with Liz every day and kidding with her and uh, dancing with her. I miss arguing with her about silly things and uh, and every time we would finish our argument, which never really exceeded more than a couple of minutes, uh, we would do a Lindy. And and uh, I miss her brain. I miss her heart. So there, there's nothing that I don't miss. Yeah. And uh, I have uh, said good night to her every night since she's passed away. So it's not like I talk to her, uh, but she's inside me every day. It sounds a little mystical, and it is no. a little too mystical for me. No. But uh, uh, we, it's not exactly like having a conversation. As a matter of fact, at night during you know the early evening, we hardly talked. We just our eyes spoke to each other. When we were out for dinner, we were not one of those couples that used our iPhones. Uh, and, and separated, we just hardly talked, but we had our eyes talking to each other. So, I'm, you know, I miss that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I feel like I know every day it's, so I'm, my husband was also a Liz student and worked for Liz as an assistant for many years. And while I, we were both 
just sort of the first half of our 20s really was like working with and for Liz in various capacities, so many projects and jobs and shows. And so, yeah, every, I feel like hardly a day goes by where we're not, we're not like singing a little piece of a Liz song or especially a reality show song kind of throughout <laughs> the house. We're always, yeah, Liz is never, never far from our, our life. Cause she, it just feels like she, yeah, she just brought us together and also helped us just sort of, I don't know what the right word is, just I'm using like birth metaphors, but they don't feel right. I don't know. Just sort of like push both of us to be artists. We didn't think we could be. And I really feel like our whole life is sort of defined by that, that time, that formative time. And our, for me, like my teen, really my teens, like 16 to 19 and then into my early twenties that she formed. Yeah. And I I just, I miss like being in process with her, like those summers. I then I went on to be a part of the that reality show project I was talking about for several yeah. years, and it was always in the summer from like June to August. So I think I was doing it like 2008, 2009, 2010, and there was just nothing better than being in rehearsal every day with her, and then leaving rehearsal to go write new material and staying up late writing new material, and the thrill of knowing that you could bring it in the next morning to present it to Liz and see what she thought like that those summers. I just, I just missed that gift of being able to know that whatever you were writing, you were going to get to sort of share, share with her. Yeah. You know, I think about, Oh, did you want to add something, Roz? Yeah. I I think, I think we, we uh, pushed each other to be the best we could in a, in a intimate relationship. And, uh, one of our core values was that if we had an argument or a disagreement, like many couples do, we made sure that we did not go to sleep without resolving what we were arguing about. The the uh, the, the cute thing was, is I, if I did something wrong and I was embarrassed or apologetic, uh, Liz would forget about it within about 60 seconds. She would go, she would look up from her writing pad and say, of course I forgive you. What, what are we talking about? And then by the way, on writing pad, Liz wrote her everything out in notebooks. She did not use a computer. Uh, In fact, the first computer we bought for her for email, I think was called, Helen, it might have been a Fisher Price toy so that people <laughs> could do emails. And then uh, finally, when she she got a computer, uh, it was mostly for emails. And then her assistants who would tra- transcribe her writing uh, to a you know, word program or so forth. Uh, I finally got her to do backup or get her assistants to do backups of of what was uh, on the computer. But she rarely wrote novels or music or anything on a computer. Gosh. And I think about how prolific she was. I mean, she wrote children's books and novels and memoirs, but it was not, it was all by hand on this yellow pad. Yeah, it's all, it was all by hand. And uh, it was, and she had a sort of a little chicken, little writing. So it was, uh, her cartoons, of which there are hundreds or thousands of cartoons, 
I sometimes have to get a translation from somebody who could read her chicken uh, writing uh, better than than me. But all of those, or most of those cartoons, as we remember, is at the Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library. It's online. Uh, that's, that's where Liz wanted to donate her uh, archive. So if anybody can't get to the library, which is an exciting library to go to, uh, I'm not sure that it's open fully during the pandemic, but most of her stuff is online. And also with the Liz Suedos project, I cannot get over just the, the plethora of artists you have. I mean, I'm a... Um, do you, do you want to talk about how you chose that, how you went about choosing the performers to be on the album? I mean, it's that's just- not that's not my skill set. I just approved all the singers that Chris wanted, and uh, I was just I trusted Ever. his taste. I I knew many of the singers, and and so that was easy for some of the singers I didn't know. I just trusted Chris's. Uh, taste and what he wanted to explore around Liz's music. And he also let the artists explore their interpretations and adaptations of Liz's music, which is, I think, so important on this album. Uh, They're not straightaway songs in the sense that uh, mimicking the way they were exposed in musical theater over the years when Liz was alive their interpretations and adaptations. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's quite exciting that Joe's pub is doing this, but I also think it's exciting for people to download the music because it's something you will treasure because it's some of the best singers in Liz fashion that are working today or not working and because of the pandemic. Do you want to mention some of them? The many artists who are well, Shana Tao. Yes. Uh Ali Stoker, yeah. the Banksons, uh yeah. Grace McLean. Stephanie Shu. Uh, Stephanie Shu, uh, Sophia Ann Caruso, Star Busby, right? Damon right. Danu, Amber yeah. Gray. Yeah. Uh, Michael mean, Jackson. Just, yeah. Who, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them, uh, people I didn't know, uh, because in the last year of Liz's life, I was busy uh, doing, well, mostly with Liz. And so uh, a lot of the new singers or people I'd been around, I was not aware of. So so exciting to me to go to the recording studio and hear their interpreta- interpretations of Liz's work. Shida, do you want to talk about being in the rehearsal room with her and what that experience was like? She was really into precision and, you know, really saying the words and chewing your consonants and hitting the words and making sure the words could be understood. And it, I kind of took that for granted because she was one of the first people I worked with, but it's just this this value of really communicating the language in this like radical deep way. And it's now when I'm sometimes behind an audition table, like I always know when a Liz kid comes in, I'm like, (laughs) I can just feel it, you know, it's like, um, and 
punctuality was really important to her. I just remember like you wouldn't, everyone got there early because there was when she kicked off rehearsal, which was usually bringing the group into a circle to do these incredible vocal warmups that I used to think maybe she got from some ancient culture, but then I found out was just these languages that she made up herself, like Lord of the Rings or something, these incredible <laughs> vocal warmups. You didn't want to be late because it was sort of, I mean, I didn't grow up going to church or anything, but there was sort of a sacred ritual feeling about it that to be late was to sort of disrespect the sacredness of the rehearsal room. And it wasn't lofty or pretentious in the way that could sound. Like it was just like, we respect each other in the process by being here on time and like punctuality is a spiritual thing. And that's something I've definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect way of saying it, Shana. Punctuality is a spiritual thing and a respect for the art and the room and the, your, your fellow uh, colleagues. I mean, it's just amazing way of saying that. And I love yeah, and I think about, you know, now there are so many ways to express yourself through YouTube or a vlog, a podcast. But I think about when Liz was starting, she just, um, there wasn't, there weren't the mediums we have now. And yet she was unstoppable. You know, and, and that she, I tell me if I'm wrong, that she wasn't dictated by what was commercial. She didn't care, right? That, that, um, and yet her pieces were so relatable, so beautiful that it didn't, it didn't matter that she, you know, that she didn't look at, you know, how they would perform, you know, to well, the I think, masses. I think she, I think, I think that's true i think there was a little bit of a mixed message from her family particularly her father uh-huh. uh that broadway was the only thing that was important and he pushed a lot on that and that was very uh disorienting in the house in our home because bob suedos was pushing broadway and liz was mm-hmm. doing work that could be on broadway but her motivation was not uh, Broadway. It was really what was coming out of her and what she wanted to do. She understood, but I don't want to uh, not comment on this. She understood that maybe a lot of her work was not commercial. And she understood some of the sacrifices uh, she might be making uh, and that she wasn't pleasing everybody. But at the same time, there was this mixed feeling of, you know, how do I, you know, please my father who, uh, you know, was keen on Broadway, was keen on status, was keen on a lot of things. But in Liz's own way, of course, she achieved enormous status. And yes. uh, it, in a way now, post her her death, uh, you know, I want to say sometimes she's like St. Elizabeth because because people are coming out in all ways of praising her. And, uh, you know, it's quite exciting. But at the same time, uh, she was, as I said at the funeral, it wasn't like she was ahead of her time. She was on Liz time. And people always say that she was ahead of her time. She was on Liz time. It might have been ahead of her time, but it was what she was thinking and feeling and wanting to do uh was 
it, it wasn't like second nature. It was her nature. She had to create what she wanted to create. And one of the things that we're working on now is the adaptation of her novel, Walking the Dog, which was the last novel that she wrote. And uh, we had a reading of it at Barnes & Noble with Meryl Streep and uh, Sheila Evans and several other people after Liz passed away. And I'm now uh, executive producing with Cynthia Mort, who is a writer uh, showrunner in California, a very well-known one, uh, to see if we can get it into a television series. And because Liz's time, in a way, is now the time of interesting streaming programming, of interesting work that people are seeing that is not just cut and dry uh, cardboard. I, I think about the Trojan women, you know, how that wasn't the piece. It's so powerful. It just was at La Mama not too long ago, right? The anniversary of it and how it's not even in English. And this was post Me Too and how it resonates all these years later. If you, you know, and I think about how her voice is so necessary you know, especially now, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and for people who might not know, she, uh, Liz collaborated with Meryl Streep very early in Meryl Streep's career, right? At the public theater. Yes. Meryl's been great. Meryl, Meryl was, a, a, is a sponsor of the album and has been just really terrific when asked about Liz. Just to really encourage people to listen to this album and find, I don't know how long the run time is. It's under an hour, I think. Listen mm -hmm. to it start to finish. That's the way that I listen to it. And, you know, honestly, I wasn't, I beyond my own song, I wasn't deeply involved with the curation and creation of the album. So I feel like I can just stand on the outside and unequivocally praise it and gush about it <laughs> because <laughs> they just really, Chris Kukul, did such a gorgeous job that the spirit of Liz shines through because the spirit of each, each individual artist covering the song that they cover shines through. You feel the individuality of every performer on that record. And that's beyond, beyond Liz's personal genius of her own work, which absolutely should be lauded and recognized for all time. She brought out the best in others as a teacher in in that combination, I always say it's just what makes Liz so rare. A lot of people have artistic genius. A lot of people have genius as a teacher and mentor and sort of creative midwife for, for the next generation. But Liz was both and in equal measure. It wasn't the, the teaching and the mentoring that didn't, that wasn't sort of on the side for her. That was who she was. It was part of it. And for those two things to go hand in hand, it's just so special. Can you talk about the song that you that you sing that you? Yes, yeah, yeah. so the song yeah. that I do is from that oratorio atonement that I music directed when I was eighteen at the Cathedral for Liz, and it was, it's a setting of a Mary Oliver poem called Wild Geese, and it just out of all the songs in Atonement, even though there's so many memorable ones, that one has really stayed with me, 
over the years. And it was important to me to have that, that piece represented on the album. I just wanted to say that I think Liz and I pushed each other to have the best relationship we could. Obviously this is not Pollyannish kind of thing. We had the, the day-to-day relationship issues and, and love, but I think we each pushed each other to, to be the best we could in a relationship. Wonderful. What do you think she would say about the album? I think she would love it. Yeah. I think she would love it. I think she would say, I've achieved something. I have all these little babies running around doing beautiful work of which they have been kind enough to do some of my work. And I think she'd be very excited about it. Yeah, I, I love to think of her as a champion that was yeah, for others, that that was embedded within her. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for sharing. I, I uh, It's yeah. such a pleasure. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. Thank you. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.